Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook Live. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Uh, this morning, we had the joy and the privilege to hear from Pastor Billy Logan. He's the pastor of discipleship at our Harrisonburg campus, over our campuses across uh, the Church of the Nazarene. And so he's joining us to bring the word today. Pastor Billy, I'm excited. Can we pray a word over you? Lord, uh, we thank you for our brother Billy today. Uh, we thank you for the word that you have put on his heart. Will you anoint him, Lord, to speak to us? Lord, reveal the truth that you have put in his heart as we continue in our study of James, Lord. Uh, may we not cower away from the word, but Lord, may we uh, allow you to search our hearts today. And uh, Lord, let it be to your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Yeah. Glad to be back down here. Um, I was here just a couple months ago. and Glad to be back with our East Rock family. That's all of you all. Uh, after last time, after, after I left last time, Pastor John, um, who helps uh, lead worship up here, uh, Pastor John said, did you get a cup of coffee? And I was like, no, nah, I just... I, moving around, didn't really, uh, I had drank some before, I didn't, I didn't get any, he's like, oh, you should have got some, it's from Blue Elk, because Pastor John knows that I like good coffee, I have expensive taste in coffee, right, we don't have that kind of good coffee down in Harrisonburg, so you guys, you guys are living luxurious in the coffee department, and so, so I was like, yeah, I'll have to get some of that, and, and some of you all are like, that's weird, that expensive coffee taste thing, I, as long as my water's brown, I'll drink it, right, that's some of you, and so I don't judge you, but you may think I'm weird. Well, I, I do. I think that's weird. And we call it coffee snobs, right? Anyway, um, the, the weirdness of that, 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 having that expensive taste, that weird, it's kind of going to lead us into our text today. Because I want to propose to you before we get into it do you, and, and say, do you know what's weird? And, and I was talking with Pastor Jared a little bit about this over the last week. It, it's, it's that when we hear a conversation in Scripture, when we read something in God's Word about the rich, when it references the rich, we immediately have this tendency to excuse ourselves from whatever is being addressed. If we were honest by a show of hands, we, most of us would admit that we have the tendency to say, well, that's not me, that's them. That doesn't, I'm not included in the rich. And so it's true, it's true if we were honest, and, and it's pretty weird that we do that so quickly. Let me, let me give you an example. I got two uh, $1 bills here, two, two $1 bills, right? Got two, two $1 bills, Okay. Lost the baseball arm a little bit, not getting out there quite as far. But, but I don't know if you, I don't know if you're watching. Maybe you're just thinking, what's this dude doing throwing out money? But, but, but I threw the money. No one really moved for it. They're probably thinking, why is this guy throwing dollar bills at me? Do you know we've been living in a pandemic? And so no one's, no one's reaching for it. No one's, no one's getting up in a hurry to try to grab the dollar. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. No, no one's going to on the way home today call to their family. Listen, you aren't going to believe the pastor this morning. He threw out $2. You should have been at church. 
Now, if I threw out two hundreds, you know, we might have had some movement, right? Someone would have said, I, this was the day of the Lord. I was glad to be in the house, right? But, but with the dollars, you see, uh, it's weird. We're a little bit more weird than we think we are when it comes to money and wealth. About 9.2% of the world, or uh, 689 million people, live in extreme poverty on less than around $1.90 a day. Around 1.89 billion people, or nearly 36% of the world's population, almost 40%, live in extreme poverty. And nearly half the population in developing countries live on less than $1.25 a day. So let me ask you, is it stranger that if you make $4,000 a month, and you can do the math to see what, you're, what you would make in a year. Uh, if you make $4,000 a month, is it stranger that you make more than 100 times what nearly half the population lives on per day? Or is it weirder that most of you don't think that you're rich? In a study in 2018, just a few years ago, reported by the Washington Post... They found Americans profoundly underestimate how rich they are compared to the rest of the world, right? So they, they, had, a, they had a group of people, they polled them, they questioned them, they, they estimated, the people in the study, they asked them, and they estimated that the global medium individual income, right? So around the whole globe, what's the median individual income? And the people in America said that they would guess it's about $20,000 a year. That's the, that's the median income individually. But in fact, the study showed that it's about a tenth of that, that the global median individual income is roughly $2,100 per year. That's the yearly income, $2,100. That's the global median income. Yes, you, that, I, that's, you heard that correctly. So let that sink in for a minute before we move into our text. Because the reality is this morning that we are filthy rich. Yet most of you would say that you're not. Because you don't, you don't have uh, what you want or as much as you would like to have. And Socrates, the great philosopher, he said, he who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. Or maybe you prefer Solomon, the wisest man in history according to God's word. In Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, he said, whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. So the point is, this morning, as we, as we prepare for the text, is that we are rich. That we are rich. And according to God's word, that puts us at a huge disadvantage spiritually. And we're going to get to that later. And so this is going to segue into our text in James chapter 5. The, the, the title of the sermon today is Rich and Wrong. Rich and and wrong. And so, so we've been in this journey through James. If you've been joining it in down here or Harrisonburg, we've been journeying through this book together, and we are reaching the final chapter of this letter as it's written in God's words. We are in chapter five, and we are, we are nearing the finish line. But after James here, is, he's taking a deep breath. He's now turning his attention once again to the rich. They've kind of been hovering in the background uh, of this letter. And the irony is that the people to whom James is writing, and we've said this often, are poor and scattered and oppressed. Most of the people who are reading this are poor and oppressed. However, they tended to admire people with wealth and status, and they desired it for themselves, much like us, right? 
That's why James is careful to issue multiple warnings throughout the book. In chapter 1, just briefly, way back in chapter 1, you remember that chapter? He included the challenge in verses 9 through 11 to see that humble circumstances have distinct spiritual benefits as opposed to riches which require humility. In chapter 2, remember James, he, he warned about the destructiveness of preferential treatment of people based upon their wealth and their status. And at the beginning and end of chapter 4, which we just finished, James was warning the people in the church against the, uh, being seduced by the desires of the world in which they live. And so now we, we move into chapter 5, and James is doing something uh, different here. He, he's he's kind of shifting his audience, it appears, um, because there's, there's no language that, that references brothers and sisters or, or believers. And so it, it seems as though James is sending this warning to the wealthy non-Christians, those outside of the church. And he's warning of their seemingly hopeless end and their ultimate worthlessness of their riches. The wealth that they have will not save them from God's judgment. And so this little section of six verses we're going to look at has a twofold purpose. We're going to unpack one today and the next one next week. Commentator Stephen Cole says the warning here serves two main purposes. First, it should encourage us and James' original audience who would know God to be faithful and enduring, knowing that in due time he will judge the wicked. But that's for next week. We're going to get there next week. Second, the second purpose, which we're going to get into today, it, it should warn us. As the people within the church, right? He's writing to those outside of the church, but how many of them are going to actually read the letter? It's only those to whom uh, are belong to the church, right? And so it should warn us not to fall into any of these sins that will bring judgment on the wicked and to ultimately repent of those we find ourselves ruled by. In the case that James uh, is addressing, it's easy, it's easy, especially for them and perhaps us today, when we feel poor and oppressed to think, if, if I can just get rich, if I just had a, this much, if I just had a little more, then I could get above my problems, then, then I, could, I could rid myself of my problems. And so, so we can be tempted, just as his hearers were, to, to pursue wealth, mistakenly thinking that happiness lies on the other side of it, that the good life lies right on the other side. Because wealth can be a dangerous trap. We should be careful not to use it in ungodly ways, but rather to be faithful. So let's change our posture. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? Would you stand, if you're able, if you're able for the reading of God's word, James chapter 5, we're going to read the first six verses. Here we go, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Verse 5, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fatten yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This is the word of the Lord for us today. You can be seated. And so for the rest of our time, I want to unpack this. What, 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 what is James saying about wealth? And then what does that say in the context of God's word? And so let's go verse by verse real quickly. He starts this section off with now. Now listen, Right? When you're trying to get someone's attention and you want, you're being emphatic, you say, now listen to what I'm saying. 
So James is beginning this section uh, with a serious uh, call to, to listen. Now listen, you rich, you who are abounding in, in material things. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail. That language in the Septuagint, which is just the Old Testament in Greek language, that language is, is, that terminology is used to describe the reaction of the wicked to God's judgment. Jesus said that, it, that in the judgment there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so he says, listen, rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. And so we've already said that there seems to be no language in here saying, hey, brothers and sisters, believers, as we've seen throughout the letter. Um, uh, and so it seems he's talking to those outside of the church. There's also no exhortation. There's no invitation to, to repent or to change their action. But now we, we understand that and we have established that those inside of the church would have heard this rebuke and warning of coming judgment. Because here, um, here James is he's, he's imitating the prophets of the Old Testament. You see, often in the Old Testament, God's prophets would have pronounced doom and gloom and condemnation on the sinful pagan nations in which God's people lived and found themselves. And James, and it would be right in the middle of a prophecy that God would be delivering to his people, but in the middle of that prophecy to his people, he would be pronouncing judgment on surrounding nations. And that's what James is doing here. He's delivering a word in the letter. We've been, we've been journeying through it, right? But in, right in the middle of it, he's, uh, towards the end, he says, all right, now this is the judgment that is to befall those in the culture around you. But we, we know that the church is leaning in because James is denouncing the actions of the wealthy in the surrounding culture and the sins of greed and materialism and hedonism, which is, is living for pleasure. And that was at the heart of the matter, which brought about the oppression of the poor here, here being addressed. And the language you can see already that he uses is stark and vivid and would have been a warning to those who were listening to this. Verse 2, he says, Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. The wealth that you have is temporary and it is rotted. Malls have eaten your clothes. In Matthew 6, Jesus said the same thing. He said, do not store your treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal and moths and vermin destroy. And so James is echoing his half-brother here. Your wealth is rotted and malls have eaten your clothes. Verse 3, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded, you've, you've heaped up, you've treasured greedily and lived for wealth. You've hoarded wealth in these last days. The Bible often uses this illustration of consuming fire to talk about the coming judgment of God. And the wealth that those whom, whom he's addressing, the wealth they've hoarded up is worthless because it will perish with them. They thought their possessions made them rich, but they have made them spiritually poor. In fact, that their possessions now possess them. They were slaves to their God. Often behind, if we find ourselves in that, in that context, often behind our own hoarding is either the sin of greed or a lack of trust that God is trustworthy to provide for our future needs. And Jesus warned us, he said, what will it gain a person? What will it be good for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their very soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? James continues in verse 4, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters 
have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He doesn't say the cries of the harvesters have reached the labor managers, right? He didn't say they reached the boss. He said the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies now stands poised against you. You should listen to what I'm saying is what James says. He's saying this is serious business because workers in those days were expected to be paid a, a day's wages following that day's work. Because most of them actually lived day to day on the wages that they would receive to buy food for themselves and their families. And so withholding wages from a worker was actually forbidden according to Jewish law. This is a serious offense. And the language being used makes that very clear. A Proverbs that I remind myself of, of, of often is, is Proverbs 10, 9. And, and the writer says, whoever walks in, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but the one who takes crooked paths will be found out. They've been taking crooked paths, and the Lord has found them out. Verse 5, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. This is a key idea here. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, this wantonness, this, this hedonism, this greed. It, it, it's not, listen, it's, it's not the bank account that James is addressing here. It's, it's the heart issue, okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not the bank account. It's the attitude of the heart that James is getting at. You fatten yourselves in the day of slaughter. That sounds weird, right? That doesn't sit with our context. But as James is doing often, and we just said, he, he used an Old Testament allusions and language. The time of God's judgment was often spoken to as, of, as the day of slaughter. And that messes with a lot of our minds, right? Our loving, compassionate, and gracious God. But the day of his judgment is spoken of as a day of slaughter. So here we see a reference to the wicked rich as animals being led to their death. And we see this at work today. We see it in the culture all around us. Sadly, even within the church, there are those who preach a false message of health and wealth and happiness. If you are in God's favor, then you'll be healthy and wealthy and happy. And all you got to do is to get to that place to experience that blessing. Listen, God loves you. He is a God of grace. He loves you so much that he sent his only son. He put on his creation, he loves you so much, not so that he could come and die to make you happy, but so that he could make you holy and walk in right relationship with you. So why do we see so many who we thought were leaders, even in the church, falling spiritually from their positions of leadership? Because they've lived in self-indulgence. They've taken crooked paths and they have been found out. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Verse 6, you've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. The final rebuke of these six verses to those rich oppressors. And, and in chapter 2, we see James speaking to those in the church, and he says, why are you giving preferential treatment to the rich? Aren't they the ones that are taking you to court? And so this, this could possibly be alluding to situations where, where God's people have been taken to court wrongly where the rich have been using power play over them, and even in some situations, been condemned to physical death, even though they were the innocent ones. And listen, if, if James' vivid language still is not enough to initially challenge and shake you from your thinking about greed and wealth and materialism, then consider this. In 2014, psychology 
Today reported, Psychology Today. The belief that material possessions improve individuals' personal and social well-being permeates America. However, contrary to this belief, multiple studies show that materialists, compared to non-materialists, have lower social and personal well-being. Compulsive and impulsive spending, increased debt, decreased savings, depression, social anxiety, decreased subjective well-being, less psychological satisfaction, and other undesirable outcomes have all been linked with materialistic values and purchasing behaviors. Psychology today, lining up with the Word of God. Biblical commentator John Rittenball describes greed like this. The sin of greed is as a ruthless, self-seeking, and arrogant assumption that others and things exist for one's own benefit. James would say it this way, for one's own luxury and self-indulgence. That other people and the things that we might possess exist solely for our own pleasure and benefit. So I ask you today, do you, do you treat the people in your life and those you come in contact with as a means to an end for your own self, selfish desires and self-indulgence? Or do you treat them as, as people who God has brought into your life to love and care for generously? One writer wrote this, and I had to share it. It says, the Euro-American way is the credit card. Buying things you do not need with money you do not have to impress people you do not like. And you do not have to add an amen to that. But Paul, Paul in 1 Timothy, he's writing to this young man, and he's just pouring everything into him. And he says, listen, he says, listen, in 1 Timothy 6, he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is A, it's a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have even wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But listen, listen to what I'm saying this morning. James is not condemning wealth or all rich people. So don't hear that. James is not condemning uh, all rich people, and he's not condemning wealth in and of itself. Rather, he's criticizing the sins of the heart that often come with wealth and are fueled by it. Materialism, greed, dishonesty, dishonesty in business affairs, payroll, bottom line reporting. How often have people fallen because a little voice says a little won't hurt, right? Wrong. How, how are you on your tax returns reporting? Maybe it's too soon for that, right? Maybe it's too soon. Wealth fuels, wealth fuels envy and pride and lust, a desire for more. So hear what James is addressing today. And listen, when it comes, when it comes to talking about money and wealth, and, give, and listen, we're not talking about giving today, so exhale, okay? Exhale. But, but when it comes to talking about wealth and materialism and giving, especially within the church, the question that is usually asked is something like this. How much do I need to give? How much do I have to give? Or maybe, how much am I supposed to give? And while those questions in and of themselves aren't bad, they don't ask the best question and ultimately don't lead us to the right answer. 
Listen, um, I'm a pastor, obviously. I'm standing up here. So I have conversations with people, I, a lot of people my age who, who want to talk about giving. And, and a lot of times um, I've had them say something to me like this. Uh, well, well, listen, Pastor Billy, like, I mean, giving 10%, which is what we call the tithe in the church, right? Giving our tithe, and, and there's biblical support. But what, they say giving 10% to God out of my income, like that's an Old Testament concept. That's an, that's an Old Testament expectation um, of God's people. I mean, I, I've looked and, and I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where it really talks about you have to give 10% of your income. So I'll listen and then I'll usually throw them a curveball and I'll say, yeah, you're right. Actually, you're right. It, you're right. And you kind of look and see their face like, yeah. So you're right. No, Jesus in Mark chapter 12, he, he was in the treasury and um, he was in the treasury with his disciples at, at the temple. And he, and he said that uh, many rich people were coming in and throwing in large amounts out of their wealth. And, and then along came this poor widow and, and she throws in uh, two copper coins, uh, said it wasn't much more than a few cents, right? She throws in a few pennies. And, and Jesus says, all right, all right. And he brings his disciples in and he says, listen, I tell you, You've seen all the money that's being thrown in? I tell you, this widow has given more in this treasury than everyone else today. The disciples are probably looking at each other like, has he, been, has he been asleep? He says, listen, they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. She gave all that she had to live on. So now I say, you're right, the New Testament doesn't say anything about 10%. It actually says give all. So maybe the 10% wouldn't hurt you. But we're not talking about giving today, so you can relax. So then what's the best question to ask? What is the best question to ask when it comes to this idea of, of wealth and, and material things? And we're going to get there. We want to look at, at what Jesus has to say of it because he was James' half-brother, and we've been doing this throughout, throughout our time in the book of James. And you'll be surprised to know that Jesus, and I double-checked this because, you know, pastors um, can, you know, I double-checked it. Jesus had more to say about money than heaven or hell or sex, and that shocks many of you. The Bible has quite a bit to say about material things and wealth and money. And so we're going to go to Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. And we're going we're gonna to stay here and kind of find our way towards the end of our time together. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. It's going to be on the screen here. Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan, and he's teaching. And as he's teaching, uh, crowds are gathering around him, as they typically would. And it says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Right? Jesus is preaching on the kingdom of God. And this guy says, Okay, I, I like what I'm hearing. I want to be a part of this. Uh, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Seems like a fair question. Verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments, obey the commandments, right? And so you can see the man's face. He's, he's processing. Uh, verse 18, which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. That's lying uh, against your neighbor. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Can you see the like half smile begin to fall on the man's face? As, as, as in verse 20, he says, all these I have kept, the young man said. He's got to have a little bit of pride about him. All these I've kept. 
But then he asks the question, what do I still lack? The man has checked off the list of the to-dos. He's checked off the commandment list. All of the ones you've listed, teacher, I've followed those. I've checked them off. But something's still lacking in my life. What is it? What do I lack? Jesus answered him in verse 21 here. If you want to be perfect, right? We talk about holiness. Do you hear that word? Uh, Be holy, therefore, because God is holy. If, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, Jesus' instructions to the man and giving him what to do suggests that the man has not truly kept all of the commandments. Beginning with the first one of the Ten Commandments, right? We've heard of the Ten Commandments. The first one says, you shall have no other gods but Yahweh, the one true God. Or as Jesus and the writer of Deuteronomy would say, he would say, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And Jesus sees into this man's heart. And he sees that this young man's attachment to his possessions is a hindrance to his faith and his relationship with God himself. So what does Jesus do? He commands the man to rid himself of whatever prevents him from making a total commitment to the kingdom of God. Back in the day, the old timers, and I'm not not saying anything if you're old in the room, whatever that is. Um, but they called, it, uh, they called it being weaned from the world. Maybe you've never heard that phrase. Jesus is trying to wean this man from the world. But now, nowadays we've, we've gotten into this mindset of this healthy and wealthy and happy. And God wants me to be happy. And he wants, my, he wants the best for me in all things. And, and he, he wants the best for you more than you want the best for you. But, but we've gotten in this mindset. And so when, when God begins to wean us from the world, we immediately stiff arm and say, well, that doesn't feel good. God, that can't possibly be your will for me. And we leave confused. But Jesus says, rid yourself of whatever is preventing you from being totally committed to me and my kingdom. He sees that the man's wealth is his God, and he's unwilling to part with it. And in study, I found that this is the only instance of someone declining to follow Jesus after a direct invitation. Jesus spoke to groups, but but this is the only instance recorded where Jesus gives a direct invitation to a person and they decline and walk away. But you see, listen, listen, family, it wasn't about, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about what the man had in his grip. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about what the man had in the grip of his hands. It was about what gripped the man's heart. It's a heart issue. That's what Jesus is addressing here. That's why wealth is so dangerous. It so often reveals what's truly in our heart. Charles Spurgeon said, That only is worth my having, which I can have forever. That only is worth my grasping, which death cannot tear out of my hands. The young man here in the story, he had majored wonderfully in the minors, and he had neglected what was most important. So what about you today? What about you? Maybe maybe you've reached a sticking point 
Maybe you've reached a sticking point or, or some sort of spiritual wall in your journey of faith with Jesus, and you're perplexed. Maybe he's trying to wean you a little bit from the world, and, and you just don't know what's going on. And you're, and you're asking like this, man, what do I still lack, God? Because you come to church pretty regularly. You, you probably enjoy the fellowship of other Christians. You would even admit that you, you somewhat regularly read your Bible and pray. But perhaps today, perhaps the problem may be that you aren't giving. You're not giving the best of your money. You're not giving your possessions, your wants, your power, your plans, your time, your desires. You're not giving him all of your heart. But don't we, listen, listen, I understand. Don't we so often want to vindicate ourselves? But I worked hard for it. I earned it. I deserve it. it but it's, it's mine. It's rightfully mine. Listen, I got little ones. One of them's running around back there. One's in Kids City. And, and I understand this concept. In children, you see this idea of it's mine come out a little more vividly than we do as adults, right? And so, so we'll get them something, and then we'll be trying to teach them to share, which we struggle with ourselves, right? And, and, and I'm trying to get them to share and, and quit acting like that, quit being selfish. And, but it's mine, Daddy. It's mine. And sometimes, you know, I, in a loving way, I want to say, no, it's not. I bought it. <laughs> How much more with our Heavenly Father? He speaks to us, and we say, but God, it's mine. I earned it. And then in a loving way, he said, ah, but, I, but I provided it for you. I bought it for you. Author Kent Hughes, he says, God can have our money and not have our hearts. Maybe he's got your money. Maybe it's something else in your heart. Something else that's gripping it. God can have our money and not have our hearts, but he cannot have our hearts without having all our money. Let me say it again. God can have our money, perhaps, and not have our hearts, but he cannot have our hearts without having all our money. That's what we see at play in this, in this text in Matthew. Remember what Jesus said in, a little bit earlier in Matthew 6? He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters because they'll be devoted to one and despise the other. They'll love one and hate the other. Man cannot serve both God and man, and that's wealth, that's physical things, material things. Jesus said they're mutually exclusive. You can't serve them both. Your heart cannot serve two masters. Back to our text, verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we established at the beginning who was rich, right? And I said it puts us at a huge disadvantage spiritually. Jesus is getting to the point, and we're, we're moving to close here. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, that sounds absurd, Jesus. That's the point. Jesus was taking the largest animal in their context with the smallest aperture and saying, take that animal and put it through the eye of the needle. You're going to have a better, a better luck doing that than a rich person entering into the kingdom of God. He's highlighting the absolute impossibility of us to enter into the kingdom on our own terms. On our own terms. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, 
they were greatly astonished. Now, this confused me at first, but then I had to go and find the context. They were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? If it's hard for the rich, who can be saved? So they must have had some ideal that wasn't clicking with what Jesus was saying. But listen, Jesus is reversing conventional wisdom of his day. It was commonly believed that if someone was blessed with riches, they had God's approval and were thereby assured entrance into his kingdom. But the New Testament makes it clear that wealth does not imply divine favor. And so I don't think Jesus was just reversing conventional wisdom of his day. I think he's reversing the cultural wisdom of our day that somehow if you're not um, wealthy and healthy and happy, that God's favor does not rest on your life. Or if you are, that it does. Jesus is flipping the conventional wisdom in the culture of our day as well. And then he closes with this. Jesus looked at them, his disciples, and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Even a rich person entering into my kingdom. One article I read said this about materialism. Most people think materialism is the desire for many things or expensive things or unique things or all three. But the truth is you can be a materialist at any income level or none. All that's required is that you look to the material possessions and physical comforts of this world for your happiness and your joy and your contentment and your ultimate satisfaction. So listen, church, we need to examine ourselves prayerfully and often so that we don't fall into what James is condemning here in the text. I believe the Lord wants us to live simply and, and manage our resources in light of His eternal purposes. Our responsibility is to be faithful to God in the realm of our financial stewardship. And listen, the bottom line this morning, the bottom line from this strong text in James is this, that your life will always reveal what your heart truly treasures. Or maybe this, this will jive better. Your life will always reveal who your heart truly treasures. I invite you to stand this morning as we prepare to respond to God's word. As the worship team comes. Listen, church family. The key, the key to liberation from the power of, of materialism and greed and selfishness is in fact the grace of giving our lives away. And that includes all that encompasses our lives. Yes, even our money. It, it, it breaks us and liberates us from the power of those things. Because as we've declared, it's all His. If your heart is His. So what is the best question to ask, right? What is the best question to ask yourself? It's this, does your heart treasure God more than anything else today? Does anything grip your heart other than? than Christ. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to the church and he's talking, he's talking to the church about the church in another town. And he's saying, listen, I'm not commanding you, but I'm telling you in their poverty, they were, they were giving graciously out of overflow uh, because of their love for God. And, and he's saying, listen, in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And in verse 9, this is what I want us to hear before we close. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was seated at the right hand of the Father, and all things were under his authority. 
that though you know that he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you and 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 everyone within the sound of my voice, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And I'm not talking about money this morning. I'm talking about things that last. This is what we build our life on. This is our firm foundation. It's not material wealth and money and possessions and building up a stockpile. It's, it's this that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians. That though Christ was rich, he became poor. So that through his poverty, you and I might become rich. So I, I invite you to join me this morning in, in praying the prayer that David prayed in the song. Search my heart, O God. Test me and, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me, any hint of greed or materialism or lust or desire for things of this world above my desire for you, God. Search me and see if there's anything that offends you and lead me in the way of eternal life. And if you reveal something, repent. Surrender this morning whatever is gripping your heart in place of the one who made it, the one who formed it. Whatever's taken worship from the one who deserves it all. Surrender. Give him your money. Give him your possessions, your wants, your power, your plans, your time, your desires. Give him all of your heart today. I invite you to make this final song your prayerful declaration by faith today in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, Please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.